Hello, everybody. My name is Craig Hendry, and I'm back today after a long break with another episode of Hard Money with Craig. Today is Thursday, May 27th, and we've got a lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. So today, I'm going to be talking about a lot to do with politics and economics, of course, as this is a economics-based podcast. I'm going to be going over mostly what I've been hearing on CNBC in the past couple of days, and just picking apart a few nitpicky points that I have written down here, and giving you guys my opinions and some economic sense when it comes to these. So yesterday in the Senate, Senator Elizabeth Warren was grilling the uh, four major bank CEOs. I didn't manage to catch the entire exchange or the entire hearing. As you can imagine, I've been extremely busy, but um, I did want to go over what happened with uh, Senator Warren and Jamie Dimon. So the the uh, the problem that Senator Warren had was, of course, there's not enough free stuff going on. Uh, you know, she is a Democrat and therefore a socialist. So she really wants everything to be free. Now, this woman has actually got a economics degree from a uh, you know, reputable college. I'm not not sure what college that is. You know, I don't really care too much, but she is an economics major, I believe. And she was grilling Jamie Diamond over the fact that Mr. Diamond and J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan more specifically, Jamie Diamond is just the CEO of J.P. Morgan. So J.P. Morgan has not been waiving overdraft fees automatically for Elizabeth Warren's constituents. And what I mean by that is just all of their customers have not been getting automatically uh, exempted from these overdraft fees. Her rationale behind this is that the Federal Reserve and the bank regulators have uh, said that all of the banks, all or the four major banks at least, I don't know about all the other ones, but they are exempt from their overdraft fees automatically. And per the bank regulators, they have recommended that they charge no overdraft fees. The banks themselves, they should not charge overdraft fees. Now, all of this is a perfect example of where I think the Founding Fathers went wrong in saying that the Congress could make all laws necessary and proper for carrying out regulating banks, because this is exactly what we get. We get the Federal Reserve uh, printing off big bucks for big banks and charging them no overdraft fees if they're reckless with the capital. So... But just because the government is reckless with the money that they can print off, and of course, if you've been listening to my podcast for any amount of time, you know that these these dollar bills that they print off aren't real money. They're simply just tyrannical bills of credit, and if you don't accept them, then you're breaking the law. But just because the uh, government is reckless with the cash that they can print up doesn't mean that the bankers 
who have actually gotten their jobs based on their prudence with money and capital and investing, it doesn't mean that these people are going to be reckless with the capital that they are given as well. But, you know, Miss Warren goes on to uh, claim that the f- people most affected by overdraft fees in 2020 was working families making under $50,000 a year. And then she specified that black people or African Americans are suffering the most, which you know, makes all of these bankers racist. You know, if they weren't bad enough already, now they're racist as well. And then she said, you know, people struggling to get by, whatever that means. (laughs) I mean, nowadays it's really hard for people to not be struggling to get by with all of the money that the government prints off and they go out and steal the resources in the economy from us. But she accuses J.P. Morgan and uh, Jamie Dimon of collecting seven times more in overdraft fees than their competitors. Now, Mr. Dimon is a some is somewhat of a free market capitalist and he's somewhat of a, a defender of the free market so i really liked what he said right to this woman's face um he disputed that number he said i don't know where you're getting that number from but they uh, he didn't he didn't think that it was accurate and then he pointed out that the federal reserve did not waive any overdraft fees for his bank because they never overdrafted in the fed's account but he didn't he did say that when the customers requested that their overdraft fees be waived because of difficulties with covid or what have you that JP Morgan waived the fees so this woman is complaining about Mr. Diamond uh, being a stingy banker and putting corporate profits ahead of people which of course you can't blame him you know if i'm running a business and you know, you, you say, hey, let me get whatever you're producing for free here, uh, you know, and then just kind of wave my bill. Well, I'll just I'll just tell you, no, I'll tell you, look, you know, I'm running a business here. I've got to make a profit. Unfortunately, as much as I'd love to give it to you, I just can't afford to. So but Mr. Diamond is actually willing to waive these fees. And of course, this is only uh, happening because he knows that the Federal Reserve will print up all money that is required to pay back these fees. So he's he's got no problem with it, really. But Miss Warren was completely, uh, you know, she was she was screaming over him when he was talking and she didn't like it. But then she went on to ask, she goes, will you uh Will you, what was it? Will you dedicate yourself right now or something along those lines? Will you say right now or make the commitment to pay back all of the overdraft fees that you've collected from your customers? And Mr. Diamond blatantly said no, which I really respected. And of course, the reason that, that I'm going over this is because I do think that you know the free market is important in the uh, sense that banking goes on in the United States, and it's really not happening right now, which is why all of this controversy is even taking place in the first place. I mean, bankers have no business being in front of Congress, anyways. And the only reason, the only way, only thing that should be going on in Congress is uh, them them figuring out how to protect the national border more, and them pre- uh, figuring out how to advance the general welfare more. 
and uh, dragging Mr. Diamond and the other three CEOs of the major banks in there is not a uh, is not a productive use of those people's times. It's not productive to our country at all. And it's really just a way of shifting the blame from politics to private citizens. But despite all that, I wanted to tell you guys why I think free market in banking is so important or why why this is why this is just a catastrophe in reality, because it's not it's not reality. We are completely detached from reality here in America because of our dollar bill, which I would refer you to my prior episodes if you've got any questions about what I mean by that. But you know, overdraft fees are there for a reason, right? Interest rates exist for a reason. And I've, I've explained interest rates in the, uh, in the previous episodes that interest rates are simply the price of money and the Federal Reserve manipulates those interest rates by manipulating the supply of money, right? They, they increase the supply of money. The demand for money stays relatively the same. Well, interest rates, the price of money comes down as a result of that. So they're skewing the marketplace in that sense, and they are making a, the distribution of resources unnatural. Uh, but other than that, overdraft fees are an important thing, right? If you've, if you've put or if you've spent money on credit and you've got no intentions of paying it back, or, or sorry, no, if you've paid money on credit and you don't pay it back on time, then yeah, there has to be a penalty or else... You know, what are you going to do? You're just going to continuously borrow that money and you're going to spend it and you're just not even going to worry about paying it back. Right. This is this is just common sense. And if that happens, then the banker goes bust very quickly because everybody just comes around and borrows his money, goes out and spends it. And when people come calling, asking for their savings accounts back or their checking accounts, the money that they've got in those accounts, well, they don't have it. Because they've loaned it out to people who have no intentions of paying it back on time or even paying it back at all. I think even the most, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to go that far and say that uh, the most prominent liberals should be able to understand that. Obviously, Senator Warren does not. But I think even you know, a layman can, should be able to understand that you know, there are reasons for overdraft fees, there are reasons for interest rates. There's reasons for the banks doing everything that they do. You know, it's not just that they're they're mean people and they want to charge you for everything. If they don't do it that way, you know, uh, history has shown they go out of business. So, in their own self-interest, they have to have these rules and regulations. But the thing is, is the government should have no say in these private citizens. Uh, business. They shouldn't be able to tell Jamie Dimon that he has to give his money to anybody else. But this is exactly what Senator Warren is implying when she's grilling these people. And it's a really dangerous precedent to be set, especially on a national stage like she is performing on. Now, sticking with politics, I want to move off of this, uh, the banks uh, topic which it is an important topic. I, I encourage everybody listening to kind of think about it and ponder it. And, uh, 
you know, and also it's it's important to think about all of these people who are making under fifty thousand dollars a year. You know, they were receiving stimulus checks, and if they were unemployed, they were receiving enormous unemployment benefits. And you know, why do they need loans anyway? Well, it's because the government's devaluing the currency that they're being paid in every day, and it's harder and harder for them to get by. But as I said, I want to move on from that. I want to get into this new infrastructure bill that's currently being debated in the Congress. So the Republicans just held a press conference right before I'm recording this, and I didn't catch all of it, but I managed to catch a little bit of it, and the stuff that I caught really made me cringe. I know I spent a little bit of time grilling Miss Warren, who's a Democrat, but these Republicans are just as good as Democrats. You know, the, the, the old saying, uh, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Well, with, with Republicans like these, who needs Democrats? You know, because they're basically the same thing. And a real Republican, somebody who really cares about the people, would really actually say, look, you know, these stimulus packages, they aren't stimulus at all. They are absolute sedatives, and we don't want to be doing them anymore or at all in the first place. But, of course, they failed. So the Democrats came up with an offer. Their offer was in the area of $2 trillion. Well, the Republicans are just half the Democrats that the Democrats are because they've come up with an offer of $928 billion dollars which includes EV charging stations. This is what I've caught from the uh, from the Republican who's in charge of the negotiations. And I, I, I mentioned the EV charging stations because there's a whole lot more to this infrastructure bill than just the EV charging stations, of course. But this is kind of an example of the Republicans pondering to what they think is the most popular political ideal at this time. I mean, they don't have principles that they stand on. They are just pandering to the voters. And if this hasn't been obvious to everybody, uh, you know, ever since they've gotten involved in thinking about politics, this should evidence it because it is, it has been our history in America that the government doesn't need to assist with building gas stations. They didn't need to assist with building gas stations. And we've got gas stations all over the place. You know, Private entrepreneurs figured out ways to make money off of selling people gas. Well, this is just another way. This is another social plan that the government is coming up with. They're, they're in the works of it right now to just take away that uh, profit from the private sector and try to get a monopoly on EV charging stations. Now, the only company currently that is putting up EV charging stations around the U.S. that I'm aware of or that's doing it in a mass scale, is Tesla. And I'm aware of Tesla because I'm an ex-Tesla investor. And uh, you know, Tesla's doing a fine job of getting EV charging stations up. There's one in my hometown of Terre Haute. And, uh, you know, it's it's very convenient. You know, I've been to Colorado. There, There's tons of EV charging stations all around. And it won't be long before Tesla, with their financial backing, gets a whole lot more going on. But the thing with Tesla is every time they make an EV charging station, they're thinking about future profits. And they're spending their own capital that's been given to them by investors, and they are allocating that capital towards EV charging stations. Now, that 
is very good. I mean, if they're going to take their money and build EV charging stations, good on them. But when the government comes and does it, not only do they spend more money than Tesla would, because Tesla's thinking, I've got to do it cheaply, I've got to do it efficiently, and I've got to charge these people at a, uh, at a rate at which I can make my money back and then in the future make a profit off of it. You know, this is this is how the profit motive works, and it's actually a good thing because it encourages efficiency. But when the government does it, they've got a blank check. The construction companies know that they can sit around and take their time, and that's exactly what they're going to do. But not only that, it's going to be uh, the, the, the case, and, and I'm making a prediction here, that these government charging stations, if they ever come to fruition, will be much slower and i mean i mean in an, an order of at least two times slower at charging your car than tesla tesla's superchargers will be and i don't think that i'm exaggerating i don't think that that's facetious at all i think that that's going to turn out to be accurate if anything i think it's going to be an understatement in the long run but another point that i wanted to make was that when tesla does it they're spending their own money when the government does it they're spending me and yours money and uh, sometimes they're spending money that they don't even have. They're just printing it up and they're going and buying uh, pieces of material, you know, pieces of wood, pieces of steel that private homeowners would be buying. But of course, they can't get their hands on those resources because the government's come along to save the day and steal them out from under us with their printed up money or with our tax dollars, which either way, I'm not a big fan of. I don't think that anybody should be a big fan of that. I mean, I'm not saying that anybody should do anything, but... I don't think that that is a is a good idea. So that's just something to think about there. But in this uh, in with this this Republican counter offer for the infrastructure bill, um, a male senator came up, and I don't know what his name is, but he made the the statement, and I'm quoting him, uh, you know, not not verbatim, but I'm quoting him, you know, with the general idea of what he said. He said, "We aren't raising taxes." The 2017 tax cut contributed to creating the best economy of my lifetime. And that is just absolutely preposterous. I mean, this guy is much older than me, far older than me. He is uh, definitely probably past the big 4-0. I would be surprised if he's not past the big 5-0. And so this guy was alive during the 80s and during the 70s when we had, you know, uh, we, we we were still deteriorating at these times, but you know, we had manufacturing plants. We had jobs in Gary, Indiana. I, for anybody that isn't local, Gary, Indiana is an absolute shithole now. It used to be a very uh, prosperous city where people had no problem getting jobs, specifically African-Americans. Nowadays, since the government's come along to save the day with their new OSHA regulations, minimum wage laws, uh, and all of the rest that I talk about, Gary has turned into a complete ghetto, and uh, everybody living there is worse off for it. But of course, saying that this is the best economy of his lifetime is an absolute—it's an absolute atrocity. He's lying through his teeth, or he's just ignorant about when he was younger and how good the economy actually was. And Gary, Indiana, is not the only town that has suffered. Uh, since the 1980s and 1970s. Other towns and cities in the U.S. have absolutely deteriorated economically and their standard of living has declined uh, 
very fast indeed. Then after the Senate Republicans held their press conference, Mitch McConnell got on CNBC for an interview. And he was talking about, you know, how he's really willing to work with the president and he's really willing to work with uh, with the Senate Democrats on passing an infrastructure bill, even if he has to work his way up from the aforementioned nine hundred and twenty eight billion dollar package that the Republicans put forth. So basically, we know that we're going to get a bigger package and it's going to include more. But Mitch's uh, concerns were was that he said, you know, we don't know. You know, we know how us Republicans define infrastructure, but we don't know how these Democrats define inf- infrastructure. Well, before like, let me preface what I'm about to say by saying something. I am not in a bad off situation economically. And all of the time that I live and, you know, and I'm accumulating money and I'm investing it, the whole time that I'm doing that, I'm putting off getting uh, internet for my house. I don't have internet in my place of residence, right? And that is totally fine. You know, I'm not missing out on anything. I've got a phone with uh, with Wi-Fi and with a hotspot on it. And you know, I don't even need Wi-Fi because my phone's always got data. So you know, there's no need for me to have Wi-Fi in the house. And of course, absent these uh, government regulations and restrictions on schools, there's no need for anybody to have broadband in their house, really. I mean, uh, but... But Mitch McConnell says, yeah, we define infrastructure in a more classic sense. Yeah, we want, you know, he said, uh, he said all this, all this other stuff that, that I would agree with is, is pretty traditional infrastructure. He said bridges and roads and all of this stuff, which I don't agree that the government needs to provide it. But I would say that that is infrastructure. Um, but it's, it's important infrastructure to what? You know, is it is it infrastructure to nowhere or is it infrastructure because there are companies that are actively engaged in commerce and they need to get to one another? That is a question to be answered by the passing of time. But Mitch McConnell said broadband is traditional infrastructure. And this is just absolutely ridiculous. As I said, you know, I live a pretty high standard of life. And I don't have broadband in my house. I don't think that there's any need for it for my personal personal situation. But Mitch McConnell, the supposed uh, Republican, is saying that he thinks that that is something that should be included in this infrastructure bill, which I don't know what that entails. I don't know if every household needs to have a broadband before they're happy or if every business needs broadband. I don't know what's going on. Every school kid maybe needs broadband. I don't know. But then uh, Mitch went on to mention Larry Summers, I believe his name is, and he said, you know, Larry has predicted in 2020 that we're going to have this big wave of inflation. And in that statement, he was kind of insinuating that this inflation was going to come in a wave. And, you know, everybody knows that a wave, it rises up and then it falls back down. So that insinuates that it's kind of temporary inflation. And asked when, you know, that's just 
Who knows if it's temporary? Inflation's never really been temporary before. You know, in the 1970s, they had 10% inflation in one year, I, I believe. I think it may have been 8 point something, but it was pretty close to 10%. Now, if that's the case, did we see the inflation? Did we see the, the prices drop after that little wave of inflation? No, we've never seen a wave of inflation before. So I don't know where these guys are coming up with this term. Inflation has something to do with the in, an increase in supply of money and credit. Right? That makes the price of that money and credit go down. The price of money and credit is what you can buy in stores. Right? The price of $2 is maybe a loaf of bread. But when you, when you print up these dollars, the price of the money goes down. Or, or sorry, the price of the bread goes up and the price of the money goes down because the price of the money is the loaf of bread. Right? You need $2 in order to get a loaf of bread. Well, when the price of the money goes down and the price of the bread goes up in terms of the dollars, you need $3 to buy it. That's inflation. But of course, that's all caused by an increase in the supply of money and credit. So unless they're trying to decrease the supply of money and credit after they've increased it, this is not going to be a wave at all. This is going to be permanent inflation. We're going to see these prices sticking around. And Mitch McConnell is doing everybody a disservice by insinuating that it's going to be temporary. But all of this talk of inflation kind of ties into another thing that the CNBC kind of briefly glanced over. You know, they felt compelled to mention it, but they didn't want to they didn't want to linger on it too much. There was no analysis of why this is happening. But they mentioned that the dollar is losing value at an increasingly high rate. Right? I believe it was uh, back in December or November, the dollar index was reading at around 92 or 93, and now it's reading at 89. So that is a big, big deal. I mean, we've, <laughs> we've lost 3% of the value in the dollar index in in just a few months, right? This is this is catastrophic. But then they also mentioned that European currencies in relation to the dollar are rising in value. And this is absolutely predictable because we are printing up more currency than the next probably 10 uh, countries combined. And this is a uh, this is all inflation, right? Inflation isn't the, an increase in prices. That's what the government has uh, skewed the definition to be. I don't know how they convinced Webster to put it in there, in their dictionary, that it's an increase in prices. But in, inflation is an increase in the supply of money or credit. And that is exactly what we are doing. So this is no surprise that uh, we're losing value in our currency and the European currencies are rising in value relative to the dollar. And, uh, you know, that... I believe, I, I don't know if I've got too much more to talk about. I mean, well, actually, there was one more thing that I wanted to talk about. So in Mitch's interview, let's go back to Mitch's interview. They asked him, do you have any room to maneuver? He said, yes, you know, we would like a big infrastructure bill to be passed. He said, we want to get it passed this week, but he's not ready to add, and he said he said seven trillion. I don't know why he said seven trillion, but he goes, "We don't want to add seven trillion in spending. There's no need to raise taxes. There are other ways to pay for it." And when they asked him what the other ways to pay for it were, he said that they want to reallocate money from the former COVID bills into 
infrastructure spending. He said the states have so much money, talking about the United States, and not the, the state governments at that. He said they've got so much money from these uh, these federal stimulus bills, they don't even know what to do with it. Right, and if the if the federal government could only just get that money back to themselves, well, then they could allocate it towards this infrastructure that the country is in such dire need of, supposedly. Right now, this is the question that I've got from Mitch McConnell, and the federal government is much larger than than any state government, that's for sure. But they've also got a much larger purview of a uh, land that that they need to take care of. Right. They've got so much more responsibilities than the state governments have because they're not only watching over the state, they're watching over every single state combined. So if one government out of a state government or the national government was to be familiar with the infrastructure that was needed in most places in the states, surely the individual state governments would be best uh informed when it comes to this kind of stuff, right? If, if there's a bridge in California that needs built, or if there's a bridge in New York that needs built, or if there's a bridge in Indiana that needs built, surely California's state government would be in the best position to ascertain whether a new bridge needs built. And how would the national government know when the state of California doesn't know? Now, so what I'm trying to say is, if the federal government gets that money back, nothing's going to change. The state governments already have that money in their possession. If they don't know what to do with it, that should be an an, an indicator that they don't know, they don't, they don't need it to, to spend it on infrastructure, or they don't think that they do, or maybe they can't by law. But anyways, the federal government cannot improve anything by taking this money back from the states. Because the states are the United States. If the states thought they needed the infrastructure and they've got all of this money, they don't need the fe- they don't need to give it to the federal government so that the smart people in the federal government can figure it out. The people in the state government should be able to figure it out just fine. And uh, and and I hope that I said that well enough because it is a uh, really important point. I feel that there's really there's really nothing that the the national government could do that the state governments are incapable of and with that everybody i'm going to leave this episode at that i hope that we all enjoyed this episode and i'm going to be making more in the near future so everybody have a great day like comment share and subscribe goodbye